0: Wow. Well, quite a day so far. Um, As I was changing in the loose, I realized my jeans had been washed and they seemed to have shrunk a little bit in the wash. So that was a, a hairy moment where I thought I was going to have to preach in my pants. I was trying to find a biblical context and David dancing in a loincloth was the only thing I could think of. But fortunately for everyone concerned, I've managed to squeeze my jeans on. So all is well. Today we start a brand new series. It's based around John's gospel. John was one of the four men who decided to write down a record of the events of the life of Jesus. And along with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John tells us about this man, Jesus, in his writings. John was in a very good position to do this. The reason was he was very close to Jesus. In fact, it's probably fair to say he was Jesus' best friend. Heard many people mention if you want to know what Jesus did, read Mark's Gospel. If you want to know what Jesus said, read Matthew or Luke. But if you want to know who Jesus was, then read John. Uh, and actually thinking about who Jesus is is the exactly the theme of this series. Because in John's Gospel, there are statements that Jesus makes that start with the words, I am. I am the good shepherd, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life, etc. And so over this summer period, we're going to look at these statements of Jesus and see what they mean for us. These I am statements, as you can see up there. Uh, And we've invited different people to speak on these themes, some people who've never spoken in our church before, including some of the recent students from School of Leadership. So it's going to be an exciting series where we hear different voices speaking about how Jesus described himself, which is fun. But today, you get me. You can't win them all, can you? Let's read a bit of the Bible. It's from John chapter 14. The words will appear on the screen. Here, Jesus' closest friends are really anxious because it's becoming increasingly obvious that the religious authorities are going to arrest Jesus in order that he can be executed. And so Jesus speaks into the anxiety of his closest friends in this little section of the Bible, which says this, "'Do not let your hearts be troubled.'" You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so here we are with this first I am statement that we're going to look at in this series. The statements are not in chronological order because each of the I am statements of Jesus stand alone. And we're going to look at them uh, just based upon the themes that different ones of us have chosen. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And before Jesus says this, he's been talking about preparing a place in heaven. And so in effect, what he's saying is this. If you want God, if you want heaven, first of all, you need to come to me. Wow, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Jesus is saying there's only one way. There's only one path to be saved. There's only one way to be known by God and to be in relationship with God. There's only one way to heaven. And it's tied up all of that one way is tied up in our response to him, to Jesus. Now, Pat, in her school, has taught the children a song called One Way. And it goes something like One Way, Jesus, you're the only one I ever. That sort of thing. Is that, was that quite good? No, it's terrible, they were saying. But um, that was the general song. And, and apparently, the kids love it at school. And they get very excited. And they sing the song. And they do the actions. And Pat really stirs them up and gets them buzzing. And, and then she leaves, leaves them alone and leaves her colleagues to try and sort of calm them down and settle them down after she's done. You can imagine she would do that. That's what I'm told anyway. So what do we make of the idea that, that Jesus is the only way to heaven? It's quite a statement. It might sound a bit arrogant, but let's just dig down for a moment and think about it. The only way to heaven. It's not very PC, is it? But the reality is God is a perfect being. We're told that in the Bible that heaven is a perfect place. We're also told in the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, that nothing impure or imperfect can enter heaven. And if I said to people today, you know, stand up if you're perfect, I suspect we all know ourselves well enough to probably not stand up and I need to go and sit here by Joyce quickly. Because actually none of us are perfect. And yet, it says that only the imperfect, sorry, only the perfect can enter heaven. Nothing imperfect can enter heaven. And so we're in trouble. There's a problem for us. And there is a solution. And the solution is wrapped up in Jesus. And I'm going to illustrate it. Some of you will have seen this illustration a number of times. I'm going to use my shoe to illustrate this solution. I want you to imagine for a moment that the whole world is in my right hand, that I'm in my right hand, you're in my right hand, everyone's in my right hand. God is somewhere up in the sky. Now all the stuff that we do and say and think that's wrong, and this, this represents that, accurately represents all that is wrong, all the stuff we do and say and think that is wrong, actually creates a barrier between us and God and separates us from God. And there's nothing we can do to remove this barrier. And this barrier exists in our life. And when we die, unless we've done something with this barrier, this barrier permanently separates us from God. Jesus Christ, God's only Son, has always existed with his Father, but he decided he would come to earth and live alongside human beings as a human being himself. And he lived a perfect life. And then when Jesus came to the end of his life, he died on the cross. He was executed by the Roman authorities. And when he died on the cross, because he was God and because he was perfect, he paid the price, took the punishment, paid the penalty for all the stuff that we've done wrong, for all this stuff here. And so what happened in effect was when Jesus died on the cross, that happened. All of the stuff was taken by him. Now look at my right hand, because Jesus takes this stuff, as we put our faith in what Jesus has done, this is removed from us, and the barrier has gone, and we're in a place where we can relate to God, not just now, but for eternity. That is why Jesus is the only way to God, because he took the punishment we deserve. He paid the penalty for all the stuff that we've done wrong, and so as we put our faith in him, as we put our faith in what he has done, the door of heaven opens for us. The door opens. The way is opened. Imagine that you need somewhere to stay for the night and the Hotchkiss family offer you our spare room at our house. And so I give you the key to my front door and you look at me with contempt and you say, what do you think you're doing imposing your key upon me? Don't you think I've got my own keys? I've got lots of keys. I've got loads of keys, thanks very much. How, how arrogant of you to say that your key is the only key to use? And I'm a little bit like, well, this is the key to our house that you can stay in. You know, None of the other keys, although they might be great keys, none of the others will unlock the door. So you can accept the key... Or sleep in the hedge. It's up to you, really. And so what I'm saying is that Jesus is the key that opens the door to heaven. His death on the cross opened the way to forgiveness and relationship with God. Now, Some might say Christians make an arrogant claim about Jesus. I say, no, all we're doing is offering the one key, the only key. Yes, there may be other keys, but they do not open the door. Jesus is the way, the only way. Jesus also tells us that he is the truth. Lots of people say, oh, well, there's no such thing as absolute truth. No such thing as absolute truth. It's a very clever statement. But the question is, that statement, there's no such thing as absolute truth, is that true? Because if that statement, there's no such thing as absolute truth, is true, there is such a thing as absolute truth, and that statement is an example of absolute truth. So the statement that uh, there's no such thing as absolute truth is not true, because um, it, he's proved it by making one statement. Gosh, that was confusing, but do you see what I mean? So anyway, let's, let's move on. Any Beatles fans in? Anyone like the Beatles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love the Beatles, but I don't always necessarily agree with everything that they had to say for themselves. John Lennon wrote a song called Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. No religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. It's an amazing song. It's a beautiful melody. Uh, It's got utopian hope. No absolutes. No heaven, no hell, no religion, everyone united. We all just live as one. See, no real truth, just Truth as you dream it, or truth as you feel it. Truth as you feel it is very much the standard of our world today. What is your truth? What is my truth? What is truth to you? What is truth to me? It feels like it's true, therefore it must be true. Here's the problem. What if I feel like hitting you on the back of the head with a shovel? You feel that's wrong, understandably, I would say. But I feel like doing it. If there's no absolute standard, then surely my way is just as valid as your way. But you say, well, you can't hurt others. And I say, oh, why? Well, because hurting others is wrong. Oh, but wait a minute, that sounds like absolute truth. That sounds like an absolute standard. Now, when Jesus describes himself as the truth, he is setting himself up as the absolute standard. And so what what he's saying is if you want to look at truth, if you want to understand truth, look at Jesus. Another of Jesus' closest friends, a man called Peter, described Jesus as the cornerstone of our lives. Now, in ancient building practices, a cornerstone was the principal stone placed at the corner of a building. The cornerstone was the largest, the most solid, the most carefully constructed of any stone in an ancient building. It was foundational. And so if we trust in Jesus... We are placing him at the center of our lives, a little bit like Pat described with the steering wheel. We're we're handing control over to him because we allow the truth of who he is to be the cornerstone, to be the foundation of who we are and what we do. Finally, Jesus says he is the life, the way, the truth, and the life. Every person who exists is alive in some way or another. We're physically alive, we're emotionally alive, we're relationally alive. But we also have the opportunity to become spiritually alive. That's what happened to Pat and to Andy. As they became Christians, they became alive spiritually. And this is linked with the fact that three days after his public execution, Jesus rose from the grave and defeated death. The greatest enemy of the human race, death itself, was beaten by Jesus. That's why he can say with all integrity and with all credibility, I am the life. You'll have heard the phrase born again, and that's why Christians use this phrase. A new life begins, a new spiritual life begins as we become a Christian. This has been illustrated in the baptismal pool today. Helen explained that earlier. Baptism is a symbol that the old life has gone. Pat and Andy went under the water and they, uh, they were symbolizing that they'd already put to death their old life. And as they rise up out of the water, they're, they're symbolizing they've already begun a new life with Jesus Christ at the very center. And that opportunity actually exists for everyone in this room. And if you're not sure you're a Christian, if you're not sure that you've ever committed your life to God, if you're not sure you have a relationship with God, if you're not 100% sure that when you die, you will go to heaven, can I say this? to you can I give you some good news you can be sure the life that you gain is eternal life and it guarantees your place in heaven it's a great deal but it is about deciding to change direction it's about deciding as Pat illustrated so well to stop driving your life on your own and actually to give God the steering wheel and that might change some things but it will give you life in all of its fullness. Imagine you have a life-threatening illness and you sit down with the doctor and the doctor says to you, your condition is serious, it's life-threatening. But there is one operation that can save your life. I don't think you're likely to say, to the doctor, how dare you come up with this one operation only attitude. There are loads of operations available. Why should I only consider yours? Who are you to impose this life-saving operation on me? Don't be so arrogant, Mr. Doctor. I don't think you're likely to say that. I think you're more likely to say, tell me about the operation. When can I have it? Are you sure it's available to me? You'll be longing to find out what is this operation that can save my life. The Bible tells us that as we put our faith in Jesus, we become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, new life begins. And for many in this room, it's simply for you a wonderful reminder of what has already happened. Baptisms are wonderful days because they remind us as Christians of what we, that day, that we publicly declared our own faith. That we recognized and acknowledged and and symbolized what had already happened within us. And for many of us in this room, it's just a wonderful reminder of what has happened for us and what has happened to us. But there are some maybe in this room who are getting hold of this reality for the very first time. And you've listened to Pat and Andy and you've seen transformed lives and you think, wow, what's going on here? You're getting hold of the fact that actually Jesus is the only way to God. The fact that he is the foundation of truth which we can base our lives upon. And the fact that his victory over death brings eternal life to us. And there are people getting to grips with that reality even as I speak this morning. Even as I speak these words, there's something going on within you. You're wrestling about this and you're thinking and you're pondering and you're beginning to wonder about this. And so we're just going to conclude Simply by us having a moment of reflection, let's just close our eyes, all of us, for a moment. Let's each of us close our eyes. I'm just going to give an opportunity, as we've got our eyes closed, for people to pray. And maybe you're going to pray for the first time in this sort of way. Or maybe you're praying as like a recommitment to God because you've sort of drifted away a little bit. We're going to pray three short prayers. So I just want to keep you—you you, you keep your eyes closed. It's just between you and God. First prayer is a sorry prayer. We've already mentioned that we know that we're imperfect. We get things wrong. We say things, do things, even think things that are wrong. So just in a moment, I'm just going to be quiet. Hard to believe, but I can do that. We're just going to be quiet. And in that moment of quiet... Just going to ask individuals, in the quietness of your own mind, because God can read our thoughts, you can just pray in the quietness of your own mind and say sorry, and there might be specific things you want to say sorry for. So let's just say a sorry prayer just for a moment or two as we're all quiet before God. just continue to keep our eyes closed so we've said sorry i'm now going to suggest that we as we pray to god we say thank you we're saying thank you in the way that andy and pat have said thank you really thank you to jesus for dying on the cross for taking the punishment for paying the penalty for our sin so again just in the quietness of this moment with our eyes closed God can read our thoughts so we can say in the quietness of, our, of this moment, thank you to him and thank you to Jesus for all that he's done to pay the price for our sin. Let's just do that for a moment. Again, I'll just be quiet as we pray in the quietness of our own minds. Okay, let's just keep our eyes closed. We've said sorry. We've said thank you. The other thing we learn as children is to say please. So we're just going to come to our Heavenly Father and we're going to say please. And this is the big one, really. This is the one that Pat wrestled with. Because this please is about please come and take the steering wheel. Please come and take control of my life. Please come and be at the very center of my life. So I'm going to give people an opportunity to pray that prayer, maybe for the first time or maybe as a recommitment to God. Let's just in the quietness of this moment again, remember, God can read our thoughts so he knows what we're praying. So in the quietness of this moment, let's just pray and say, please come. Be Lord of my life. Take control of my life. Let's just keep our eyes closed just for one more moment. Everyone's got their eyes closed. Apart from me. I would like to ask if you've prayed that prayer, maybe for the very first time, or maybe as a recommitment to God, just where you're sat right now, would you just lift your hand? Would you just put your hand up? Thank you. Thank you. There's a number of people across the room putting their hand up. I would love at the end of this meeting to speak to you guys and pray for you guys. So if you're prepared to come and maybe um, bring someone that you know with you if you're feeling a bit nervous about that. Or maybe you just felt too nervous. There was probably, I don't know, eight to 10 hands that went up. There may be more though. There may be more. And so I want to give opportunity, even though you felt, I'm just too nervous to even put my hand up because Terry's watching me. I still want to encourage you just to come and speak to me at the end of the meeting. Let's open our eyes. I'd love us to stand together.